Leonard Cohen suggested, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. This viral crack gives us a chance to create something new and better. So let's talk about back to different and let the light in. Um, I am back again, yet again. And as usual, somebody showed up in my life through a very circuitous route. But as soon as this fellow showed up, I went, I got to call him and I got to get in touch. And I, I need to hear his story. Uh, his name is Mohammed Hamoud. I met him through the usual 360, my, my uh, stable of uh, podcasters. I was only about four. And I, I was caught by his story, and that's enough out of me. So I'm going to ask you, Mohammed, how you got here. Good morning to you, Mac. Thank you very much for having me on the show and uh, for letting me share how I got here. I can start by telling you my mom and dad, and the picture that I found while cleaning my books yesterday really supports that. I found a picture of my parents the moment I returned from Spain in 1992 as they were coming down the stairs to greet me, and both of them with their arms outstretched, almost falling down the stairs, running to, to greet me. And that's kind of how my life has been. It's been um, a life that has been spotted with significant moments and stories. And our life is a combination of stories. I remember growing up in the civil war in Lebanon with, you know, bombs falling around me. You know, certain days I'd be going to school and I'd see people dead in the streets, people hung from their, their head. Uh, from from the telephone poles and so forth, and that's how I grew up. And then when we, you know, took refuge in Canada, we went through Syria to uh, Egypt to Paris to Montreal, and finally landed in London, Ontario. And that's how I physically got to Canada in 1976. But from there, the the reel in my head continued to spin as I would always, as I walked to school and home after school my story of my life would spend starting at, you know, I was eight years old and I would talk to myself and say, one day you will share your story. One day you will talk about your story. And it's not that my story was any more significant than all our stories, but the letters that made up my story, the letters that, uh, that, that spelled the words that would describe who I was and where I, where I was going and who I would become and who I would meet. Every one of those letters became very incredibly important a moving letter to spell a word that would allow me to meet a person that had an impact on my life or go through a process or a place that impacted me and helped me become the person who I am. And that person today is, I'm a father, I've got three children, I'm married to my wife of 20 years. And what I'm all about is connecting with people. I'm about reaching out having that heart-centered relationship, conversation, the communion of why we are here and in taking our shared histories and what brings us together, even when it's our differences and how we can use that to create a better world. So I won't go into too much detail about who Muhammad is in terms of what happened to me along the way and how I grew up in small town Ontario, how I faced racism, how I continue to face it with a name like Muhammad and looking relatively white. Um, 
you know, I was bullied. I went through all, all these wonderful experiences that made me the person that I am and that allowed me to reach out with empathy to the people that I meet on a daily basis. I believe it's those experiences that we encounter and live and repeat in our head and relive that allow us to see when people are going through them, we can smell the pain and feel the angst that they're going through in that particular moment because we have felt it, we have smelt it. And I say smell because whenever we have that smell, it takes us back. Smell is such an incredibly powerful sense, more powerful than sight or sound or, or, or any other sense. And for me, it's, it's a very sensual sense. I can smell where I was and what I was feeling and that transports me. And where it takes me is where I keep my, my heart and my head open, wherever that journey takes me. If it's to make a difference in people's lives and to be a catalyst for change and for embracing love and creating community, that's what Muhammad Hibbs is all about. Wow. Um, several things. Number one, I was reading um, Albert Einstein's journal some years ago, which is fascinating. He's one of my heroes, um, the, a deeply spiritual man besides extraordinarily bright. Genius. Yeah. And he talked about what he called combinatory play. And that's how he said he got to all his stuff. He said going to the chalkboard was the very last thing he did, and he didn't particularly like it. And the combinatory play included that he would just walk around and not think. But one of the things he focused on, and I was so glad that you did, because I haven't thought of this in a while, was olfactory sensations coming through his sense of smell. And I remember, as soon as I read that, I had like three days of my, my, my grandmother's breakfast smell, right? The, the stream I used to hunt crayfish when I was, you know, all these things, and all of them came through my nose, which is not one of the senses which gets, I think, the proper respect <laughs> that it deserves. Secondly, you talked about communion. And I'm a recovering English teacher, so uh, words for me are just jewels, every single word for me. And that comes from a root word that, that of course, means common. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, because you and I have – very different backgrounds in a whole bunch of ways, but we've both been to London, Ontario. <laughs> wow. So, you know, that was the first thing that brought us to conversation was that sense of communion. So in your, um, my understanding of your story, which I've uh, read the piece you wrote for um, Biz Catalyst, was that your a name morphed. Yeah. in the process. So can you share a little bit about that reaching, reaching a sense of communion common with not only your environment, but with yourself? Yeah. Uh, you know, and as you just said that, and you use the word communion to help me understand my name, you think that you know everything that you do but yourself. And then when you meet someone and they came into your life for a reason, and we're having this discussion this morning for a reason, you just allow me to look at the transitions of my name through a more positive lens. So I've always said that my name has morphed because I've had to hide my identity and who I was. And in the way that you phrased it this morning to look at it through communion, I've actually also changed my name to allow me to meet people. So 
it wasn't always negative. So when I came from Lebanon, I was Mohammed. That's what my birth certificate said, and spelled in different ways because when you translate it into English, transliterate it, you right. So Mohammed is a Muslim name. When I came here, we were told that we had to change it to a Western name. So I became Mike. I thought it was okay. You don't know what you don't know at seven still. Uh, but I started to hate it because it just, I was like every other Mike at the school. I wasn't Muhammad. And, you know, I tried to find that identity because for the longest part of my life, for seven years at that point, my parents would call me Hamoudi, which is this, you know, the diminutive of Muhammad, right? Kind of calling you Mackie, right? <laughs> so um, I, I, anybody that still knows me to today calls me Hamoudi. But, you know, my given name was Muhammad. And then I changed it to Mike. Well, Mike started to represent all the bullying that I went through from grade three to grade 13. The I fit in, I didn't fit in. People liked the way I dressed and they wanted me to go shopping, but they didn't want to be my friend. And then I was friends with everybody, but no, not really close to anyone. At the high school dances, I went and everybody enjoyed my company, but I wasn't necessarily there with anyone. And at the after parties, I wasn't invited because People either felt that I, somebody else would invite me or that I would just organically show up. But to me, it meant that I didn't belong. And that lack of belonging, I associated with the name Mike. And at one point in my life, when I went away to school in Quebec City, I decided, you know, just before I went, a friend of mine in French class called me Mikel. I said, would you call me? She goes, Mikel. I said, that's my new name. So I legally changed it. I forced everyone in my native high school to call me Mikel. It was tough. I'd be walking down the hall. People would say Mike and I wouldn't answer. It was tough not to look. Even to today, if people call Mike, I might jerk my neck around. But I wanted to become Mikel. So when I went away for six weeks to, to summer school, I became Mikel. I became the most popular guy there. All the girls liked me. Sorry if I sound up, but you know, when you're 18, yeah. that's what you're all about, right? Yeah. All the guys wanted to be my, my best friend. And at the end of that summer, I had to return back to the old, sorrowful state of being Mike. I didn't want to come back, and I tried to commit suicide. So three days before I was supposed to come back home, I tried to kill myself by overdosing on pills. Fortunately, it didn't work. It was a cry for help. It was also an awakening to realize from a teacher at that point who told me that it doesn't matter how many friends you have in life. If you have one, you have a true friend. If you have two, you're very lucky. And that lesson stayed with me from when I was 18 till onwards. Then through, you know, I came back, I graduated, went to university, and I became Miguel because I started learning Spanish. And I learned Spaniards were not about their sombreros. That's how I, what got me to learn Spanish is I went to take an introductory Spanish course, and I became enamored with Spanish. So I moved to Spain. I studied in Spain. I became Miguel. But when I was in Spain, I went to Granada and I saw all the Moorish influences and I thought this has something to do with who I am. And I rediscovered Muhammad. Fast forward, I came back to Canada. I took on the name Muhammad. I changed my name yet again and expected everybody to change how they interacted with me. So fast forward to today, there are people who know me as Mike, Miguel, Mikel, Muhammad, Hamoudi, and I've been to the pilgrimage, and when you do that, people in you know, the Islamic community call you Hajj, which means he, he who has gone to the, um, the, to the Holy House. So depending on who you are, you call me by a certain name. And I think that is beautiful, because when you come back to communion, the coming together and what you have common with that person and the level of commonality that you have 
allows them to know you on a certain level. And it's through that love and through that communion that you remove the various masks under which you are hid and you become unfiltered, so to speak, and you allow people to see the true and authentic person. And I, you know, to your point, I think each one of my journeys and my personalities or personas, I should say, have allowed me to be authentic. I don't think I was living a lie when I was assuming those names. I lived years as, as Mikel or as Mike. It just it wasn't authentically in touch or in communion with the person who my soul wanted to be. Am I there today? I think I'm on that journey much closer, but it's a work in progress. Well, thinking that we're there is very dangerous. It is. I mean, we are here, and I'm not trying to be facetious about this, right? And several things which uh, really grabbed me. Thank you so much. Um, one is your willingness to be vulnerable. Um, if you're familiar with Brene Brown and her yep. stuff. Shaking um, my head. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that seeing, seeing and realizing that vulnerability is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. And I was raised exactly the opposite, that being vulnerable is a sign of weakness. Yeah, and especially as a man. Ah, I know. Right? It's, it's like day is night. This is like 1984, right? Night is day, day is night, peace is war, all that kind of stuff. Um, secondly, I'm hearing you through your sort of nominative journey, your, your name shifts. Um, reminded me that 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 we all spend our, our lives in this dialectic this this conflict between being fitting in we all want to fit in but we all want to stand out oh, yes. right so that's that's always going nom, 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 right it's always going all over the place and i think it's just part of the deal and then it's not bad to go to right or wrong but I was, um, I'm, I'm back in school. Um, I, I'm going to be a, uh, become a counselor in alcohol and uh, drugs, which is, I want to, I want to give to that uh, part of our humanity, I think. But one of the things that we were talking about in class was if, if you're curious about other people, you cannot be resentful. And curiosity being childlike, not not childish, which is but childlike, which I see in your eyes and in your face, it's that sense of I'm still looking, I haven't found it all. What's next? Right? Um and your story about going from name to name to name to name and back and name to back and was fascinating for me because it's like, I mean, all of us do that. We don't get to have it clarified by name changes, but we all do that. You know, we go from father back to son, back to teacher, back to learner, back to smart guy, back to stupid guy, back to, you know, we all make that back then, bam, bam, throughout our lives. So let me ask you um, about this time in human story, this pandemic, this disruption, however you want to frame it. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible what do you see in your experience and in your thinking and in your heart and in your soul that may indicate that some that that uh, that that you and and we may be shedding some old skin oh, yeah. 
and growing some new skin. Completely, completely. When people say, I shudder when people say, go back to normal. I even shudder when we say create a new normal because anything that supposes that we can go back to something broken and evil and hurtful and painful and no longer attainable and not even desirable is wrong, right? To, to, to think that you can make a forbidden permissible, to think that you could justify killing or justify stealing or hurting another is just wrong. And to go back to a situation where we got here because not just of the COVID virus, but because of our virus of racism and our disrespect of the earth and our communities and each other. And I don't want to go back to that. And I don't want to reconstruct a new normal that has anything faintly reminding me of what the old normal was, what I think I wanted to do and what I've been, you know, sharing through my social media is a new, better, more wholesome, more inclusive reality. You know, if anyone has ever been sick, so I, you know, I tried to take my life and God gave me a second chance. That was an awakening. Right now, humanity is sick and we are being given a second chance. Let's not make it about toilet paper and supplies and hoarding. Let's not make it about without any disrespect to the people who've lost their tribes and those who've lost their lives, for the rest of us who are doing okay, and, you know, before you turned the session open today, you said um, something to the point that we're okay. It's a first world problem. You know, we we're talking about Zoom and how we get on. You said it's a first world problem. You and I have first world problems. Yeah. You know, we don't have any problems. You know, even I think when we have health problems when we have financial problems we live in countries where we are blessed where we have a high sense of social responsibility to each other and the governments to us and nothing is perfect but we are blessed so for those that live in first world countries count your blessings and be grateful but moving forward to building this new reality means recognizing what you did before was wrong that you need to do better that you need to rewrite the definition of inclusion, that you need to widen the circle of safety and not per, you know, intentionally permit or make room for others, but stand back so that others feel they belong in the door that you've allowed to be open. The minute that you become the active participant, you've remained the dominant culture. And you and I can be dominant, even if we come from an ethnic or another non-dominant but we have a certain socioeconomic status. You and I are healthy. We are men, right? So we're privileged. And privilege has many layers. It's not just about black and white. It's not just about English or French or indigenous and not. It, we have privilege. And so we need to stand back and disinvest ourselves from the privilege that we have hoarded and amassed. Take those privilege, masks of privilege off and be authentic, be vulnerable, recognize that it's a, a strength and not a weakness, and allow others to commune with us. And it's that, I come back to that word, and it, to your point, I don't mince words either. I, I, you know, I'm a linguist in my background. I study translation and mysticism and literature. So for me, the idea of communion is not just with a greater force, whether you believe it's God or Gaia, 
It's communion with each other because when we truly come to respect and accept and love and embrace the other for their differences and not in spite of them, we open that opportunity to be healthier, warmer, vibrant, alive. And that's the reality that I want to help build. It's the reality that what black people have been living through centuries of racism and colonization, the fact that it exists today, that 60 years ago, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was still talking about it and we are still fighting for the same rights today, that indigenous people still don't have fresh water on the reserves that they live in subpar uh, um, you know, environments, that people are still treated differently because they're women or because of how they choose to love or how they dress or the language that they speak. This is 2020. So the fact that we can have 2020 vision and clarity to move forward this reset is an opportunity for us to have that clarity. And so rather than look at 2020 as, as a breaking point, look at it as when the earth removed its own masks. And we were forced to be vulnerable and look at the earth and commune with it and say, we need that clarity now. We need to embrace one another and the earth, and we need to write a new story together. I was speaking with my brother, Fred, the other day, and he and his wife are both recovering from COVID. And she very, very, very nearly died. I mean, speak to them. really close. But we, Fred turned the conversation to what he calls soft walls. And by that he means we all have hard walls that we build, Right between white people, black people, men, women, old people, young people, Syrians, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not smart enough to know the the whole list, but so we ended up talking for a long time about soft walls, and you know what you're saying. I don't think that um, helping to move forward is um, is as difficult as we may make it seem. I think. I think it's how we talk to the people next door. It's how we talk to the people in the store. It's, I mean, I've started and it just came to me when I go to the store and my wife has a compromised immune system. So that's part of my job, which is fine. Is everybody who works at the store, I always make a point of walking up and saying, thank you for being here. You guys are warriors. And they're like, mm -hmm. we are? <laughs> it's like, yeah, you are, man. Right? So. It's just about opening, as you said, opening that, opening that, that small precious door to, to who we are. And remember the Sting song, um, I hope the Russians love their children. Yeah, yeah. We, we now know that they have children and they love them, right? Yeah, it's no more complicated than that. So, at least for me, and I suspect for you. So, I want to ask you, two kind of closing questions. One is if you could kind of, um, if you could kind of encapsulate, which is always dangerous because it means leaving something out, uh, how you would help people see this opportunity. And then the second question, you have kids, right? Mm -hmm. The second question is- You must have known I'm thinking about my children right now. It's odd that you asked me that because I was just thinking about well, my children. I can see kid 
yeah. kids up here going, kids, kids, kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, don't I think about children, but. Oh, that's all right. Uh, kids are great. Kids are so much smarter than we are. Thank, thank God that uh, we control the money or kids will be in charge <laughs> of the planet. Um, some years down the line, when for one reason or another, you're no longer here to bother your kids, either you've moved away or, or you've moved away in the sort of cosmic. Mm-hmm. What would you like your kids when they're talking to their kids, your grandchildren, when they talk about dad, and 2020, what would you like them to say about how you handle yourself? So let's start with the first one. If, if you can boil this down to a thought about what we, what, what can we take away from our conversation so people can go, you know what? And then the second question about your right. kids, my friend. So the first one would be a true healing. You know, when we recognize that we have a sickness, we call out for a greater force, something greater than us, and we ask for that force to help us heal. And right now, there are three forces that I believe are helping us that can help us to heal. There's the omnipotent force, if you believe in God or a spiritual deity or nature, right? There is the earth. There's that force that is bigger than you and I because the earth has started to heal and to become herself again, right? And so we need to respect that healing force and work with it and not against it um, because it forced us to stop. It forced us to stop our economies, our work, our, our, our lives. And it said, enough. You've hurt me long enough. I won't hurt you back, but I'm healing. And in you taking the medicine, there are things that you won't like to taste. And that meant we had to heal. People had to die. People had to lose their jobs. People had to lose many things as the earth was healing. Just like when we are healing from a sickness, we lose certain things. We lose our, we, 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 we lose our stamina. We lose, right? When you get better, you don't really get better. You just get a bit better, a bit stronger. Right. So believe in that greater force. Believe in the healing of, of, of the earth. But believe in that you are your own healer as well. If you refuse to believe in a higher force, refuse to believe in, in communion with the earth, and communion with that high force, and you refuse to believe in communion with yourself, and you keep these soft and hard walls from really getting to know who you are, then you're not going to grow. You're not going to change. And that change has to be internalized before it can be externalized. So that would be my first question. Start with yourself, but recognize it's not just about you. It is about everybody on this earth, the earth, and this greater force. Second, about my children, and the reason I tell you I was thinking about my children is as you were talking, as you were being hopeful, as you were, you were talking to my instinctual father figure, and probably even when I'm sleeping, I'm thinking about my kids. Are they okay? Are they home now? You know, I hear the garage open. Oh, my son's just come home, right? So I want my children to know that I, me, myself, I did something. And I have been. During COVID, I've been speaking out. I've been organizing different uh, virtual um, town halls with people in my community. I've been going out to serve people who are less fortunate. I, I've been trying to get people to be positive and awakened and aware. I'm doing the little to the most that I can. And it's never enough because you need to do more and more and more. And I'm trying to find that way that I can heal, that I can help others heal that I can help the earth heal. And I do that through spirituality. I do that through connectedness. I do that through the connection that you and I are sharing today. And that really comes back again to the word communion. 
So I want my children to know the wholesome person that I was, what I was able to give that. And this is kind of, it's amazing that you thought that because I'm just across the room from my son who's sleeping this morning. And as I was preparing my tea, I thought I closed the door on him so I wouldn't bother him. And I saw him sleeping. And I thought to myself, oh, how much I love this young boy that's become a man. He's turning 20 in, uh, in, in, in about a week. And I thought to myself, why do I love him? He drives me crazy sometimes, but I love him. Oh, and by the way, he's going to have kids and he's going to be the person who keeps my name alive and my father's name alive and so forth. And I said, but that's not just the reason that I love, I love him because that's a selfish reason for us to continue to exist through our children. And I thought, I love him for who he is. And then I closed the door, I made my tea and I came to sit. So as you were talking, I was aware of his presence near me. And it's that awareness of, I am here not just for myself and my own needs and not even just the needs of my children. We are all the children of other people and we are the children of their children, and, right? We are all children of a greater cause. And I think when we can recognize that, I'll come back to this word without killing it to, to, to today, <laughs> but we need that spiritual communion of coming together, of being one community. And as I always say, we may come from many different backgrounds, but we form one nation, and that is humankind. Thank you. Mike, Miguel, <laughs> Miguel, <laughs> Mohammed, um, Hamoudi, did I, did I, did I, did I, did I, did I, leave? I have to look around and like, what's going on? <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Um, I, I'm assuming this is the start of a, a long, a long friendship. Um, we share too much not to thank you not to continue um, thank you I, I will listen to more of your podcast um and this has been a pleasure and it was it was much too short so we're not done yet my friend thank you thank right. you brother. i will talk to you again take good care and would you say hi to your kids for me i will god bless you it's a deal all the best Thanks for giving us a listen. As we move forward with this situation, with this thing that's us, let's never forget that we are all in this together. No matter what else happens, we're all in this together. Thank you.